Mbawale for the win. Good! Arike Okunbawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Pino gets the crossing. He's towards one Twenty-one world championship medal. She is the greatest of all time. You just can't say it enough. Wow. Women's singles champion, Serena Williams. Large. Williams into Bird in the corner. You bet. She's done it again. Sue Bird. You're listening to All In a woman's sports podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome into All In, a woman's sports podcast here on WFUV Sports. I'm Maddie Bamonte, and today I am joined with my two co-hosts, Taylor Massetta, Annabelle Watson. Guys, it's finals week, just right, like, right around the corner. How are you guys doing right now? Um, I mean, like, <laughs> if I could just, like, start screaming into the mic, I would, because I realized I have, like, four assignments due tomorrow that I'm just not even halfway done with yet so might be a little bit of a late night for me but there is one good thing that happened today and that was Aaron Judge re-signing with the Yankees me and Annabelle are very thrilled about that so um yeah that's that's the one bright spot of my day other than that pray for me please (laughs) (laughs) um I'm pretty stressed as well but I would say because I'm a journalism major Compared to my other friends, my my load is a little bit lighter, so I have to have to credit myself for that. Um, and of course, the Aaron Judge news was huge and made me a lot happier because there's also a lot of gloomy weather today. So that was a very big bright spot. But excited to be in the studio with you guys. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up being a journalism major because my <laughs> finals are absolutely laughable compared to what other people are yeah. doing. No. Um, um, I'm doing a week without social media next week as a final. It's going to be real tough for me. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? See, for, like, me, like, all my finals are just always final projects. So it's, like, a lot of work. But, like, half the time they're actually kind of fun. Like, I had to make a movie or, like, a fake podcast. Meanwhile, my friends are taking, like, chem or orgo exams. (laughs) And I'm like, thank God I'm not you. But I also, like, man. I mean, it's still a lot of work. So it's, like, I'm still drowning in it. But it feels, like, a lot easier yeah, definitely. But we have actually, for a change of pace, all good news this week for All In. I feel like Yay. every single week we come in and we have to break some really awful, just terrible news. This week it's all good news for women, <laughs> um, except for one story in particular um, that we will get into later about an oh. injury of choice. But for the most part, pretty positive episode because we need the positive vibes right now and we need all we can get with finals. Um, so to kick it off, we're going to turn it over to you, Chicago, who just won the NCAA Division Three title game in soccer the other day, led by a woman coach, Julianne Stitch, became the first woman to coach a men's soccer program to an NCAA championship. They won two to nothing on Saturday. She was a former player for DePaul and the Chicago Red Stars, and they had a 22-0-1 record in her first year as a coach. That shutout win Saturday just comes eight months after she returned to Chicago as head coach after just serving two previous stints as an assistant with the team. Guys, this is absolutely just great news to see um, not only the University of Chicago take that Division Three title, but for Julianne to really show her prowess as a woman coach for a male team. 
yeah, I think this is definitely super impressive. And to just see that U Chicago had been appearing in a lot of Final Fours in recent memory, but they could never really seal the deal. And then finally, when Julianne became head coach, they were able to finally bring home that trophy. That's like such a great statement win. And I love that so, so much. I don't know if you guys saw the video that like came out once like the Maroons won the game. So like Julianne's like running down the field and like the like the boys are like running near her and they're like hugging her. They're throwing the Gatorade on her. They're just so unbelievably excited. And that also just made me excited because it just went to show like how much like this team like loves and respects her. And like oftentimes you see like male athletes discredit female coaches and like be like, oh, they don't know nearly as much about the sport as a man. Like they don't play the same sport as we do because there are like disparities between like men's and women's like the way that they play sports. So it's really cool to see, like, a woman just, like, leading this team and this team is wholeheartedly, like, embracing her. And I think it just says so much about, like, the future of, like, female coaching, like, men's teams because, like, they can trust in them and know, like, hey, they know just as much as, like, male coaches. Like, they can bring you to success. And I think it's, like, an amazing example for, like, what's to come. Definitely. And I think watching that celebration, like you mentioned, um, poor Gatorade performance, by the way. The Gatorade pour was pretty bad. Um, It took like three guys to dump it half on her, (laughs) which was a little embarrassing. But um, it was really it really was sweet and touching to see them all kind of rally around her. Um, And she she gave some great quotes after the game. She was like, the credit goes to the team. They've never had a female coach before and they embraced me as one of their own. Uh, for me, that will forever be a grateful moment. And I just thought, like, man, this is just so, so great to see um, younger male athletes, too, mm-hmm. really look up to these female coaches because uh, when they have that role model for them, I think it's really important. Um, she is only one of two women coaching a men's NCAA soccer team in Division Three. Uh, NYU's Kim Wyant is also another coach. Um, I'm hoping to see more now with the win, and hopefully more women can get promoted, get more place in there because – from her qualifications, playing a star player for DePaul and playing for the NWSL, you can't really get much better than that in terms of soccer expertise. So it's been really impressive to see um, their team kind of grow so far. Yeah, hopefully she can kind of become a trailblazer in men's soccer because this is just absolutely great to see. And a fun fact I found was that um, UChicago had only one tie this year against NYU who was also coached by a woman. So a lot of female empowerment, and hopefully we just see more and more female coaches in not only men's soccer, but every sport. No, I fully agree. Definitely. Um, And now we're going to transfer things over to another heated matchup that we got going on tonight. It's just going to start off really soon as we're recording this. It is the big anticipated Iowa State-Iowa game tonight. Number 10 ranked Iowa State taking on the number 16 Iowa. And we got a matchup between two of some of the biggest players in women's basketball right now. Uh, Jones and... um, the amazing, I'm blanking on Caitlin, her name. Clark. Caitlin Clark. Clark. Yes, I'm sorry. Caitlin Clark and Jones, two absolute great players for their teams. Cyclones haven't won at Carver Hawkeye Arena since 2006, the last time they play there. Iowa State led by 17 going into the fourth quarter. The game before that at Carver Hawkeye, Jones missed her freshman game winning shot at the buzzer. It was an absolutely heartbreaking thing. Um, and Iowa State won last year's Cy Hawk game, um, breaking Iowa's five game win streak in the series. And so far, looking into this this matchup, it looks absolutely incredible. We just talked about Iowa last week on the pod um, in, in their matchup, but 
Caitlin Clark has just been an absolute weapon for them, leading 28.2 points a game, 7.1 rebounds, 6.9 assists. Um, she has just been able to score from anywhere on the court, but it has been really impressive to see Iowa State as well, who's just been off to a terrific start. They only lost to UNC by a score of 73-64. They're 6-1 and one on the year. Ashley Jones also just an absolute weapon for them, 19.9 points per game. Guys, when you look at these two players and this team behind them, who do you think is going to take this, and what are your heads are thinking on this game right now? Well, my first thought about this game is that um, you know, it's a very big matchup, and I didn't realize, like, how big this rivalry was, and they even, like, had a name for it and stuff <laughs> like that, which is really fun, and there's only two top 25 um, women's basketball matchups this week, and this will probably be the most watched, which is great to get some eyes on uh, women's college basketball. Um, for me, I... I got to go with Iowa and Caitlin Clark. I just think she's such an offensive weapon. You look at those numbers, 28 points per game. If they can rally behind her, I think Iowa can take this home. You know, like what's so notable about Caitlin Clark, she just notched her seventh career triple-double in the previous game they just played. And that's a Big Ten record. And I think that's with both men and women, if I'm not mistaken. So this girl is just an absolute offensive powerhouse. I think she is nearly impossible to stop. So my money is on Iowa right now. I'm really kind of going back and forth with this because I've really looked at the depth on this Iowa State team, and it's it's very impressive because behind Clark, you also have Monica Cesaro, you have uh, Cezino, you you have um, other players like those, but they got a couple of big tall girls on Iowa State. Um, Stephanie Suarez being one of them, six six. Um, who will probably be guarded by Monica. Um, that will be kind of tough for her. She's also been excellent this season, 16.3 points a game. Um, but it's really just from my issue with Iowa in particular, and I talked about this in their last game, is Caitlin Clark can only do so much for this team. Mm-hmm. As the one player that kind of represents their team and pushes for them, she scored, what, I believe like 40 points last game and they still lost. So to me, when I look at this um, Iowa State lineup, I'm seeing much more well-rounded in, in some of these players. And, and while I like to think Iowa can really be carried by Caitlin Clark, I'm just not so sure that this year is her year to carry this team in every single big matchup that they have. Um, as they dropped their last ranked matchup last week, um, I think it, it's going to be a tough battle between the two, but I, I think Iowa State might have this one just in terms of depth and what they have going on. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, Maddie. And also, you know, this is, kind I guess, kind of a trivial thing, but if you're Jones, you have to be motivated by that missed shot your freshman year. You have to want to come back and, and get revenge and finally close out your last game because I believe this is her fifth um, what is it? Cyhawk, Cyhawk Cy game. <laughs> Cy so you have to want to go out on a good note for your final game, your final rivalry game. So I think that can definitely be a big motivation for her, and and that could spark a really good performance from her. Yeah. Um. I just realized too, like another advantage that Iowa does have, they are playing at home, mm. and if they can just get a big crowd, I feel like that will definitely help their chances. But you never know. You you see a lot of at home losses like all the time. But I I would say like that's something to take note of. Also, I think home court advantage in college basketball is 
probably like the biggest in all of all of sports maybe college football really takes it but I think that college basketball if you have a good home court like presence you it's a huge huge advantage so if they can get a lot of fans to the arena then I think it'll definitely help them out I think that definitely plays a factor into it and and just seeing them over the past couple of years, like like they said, Cyclones haven't won at Carver Hawkeye Arena since 2006. That's a huge, huge thing to keep in mind. In the mm-hmm. last, and like I said last time, the Iowa State was um, leading by 17 going into the fourth quarter um, before losing. Like they dropped the ball in that game. Yeah. So um, it's definitely something to keep in mind. I do want to point out a couple of other players on Iowa State's team that I think are worth watching tonight. Emily Ryan, guard, 12.4 points. Lexi Donzarski, 11.9. They're just shooting from under 33% beyond the arc, um, but they're an excellent free throw team. They are, they're shooting like over 80%. They out-rebound their opponents by almost 13 rebounds per contest. I think rebounds have been something that we've been seeing a lot in these games, and I think it can help with their momentum and their play and speed. Um, I still think Iowa State, regardless of uh, where the game is played, is going to be able to take this one. I think Iowa just it falls a little bit short this year in terms of roster depth. Um, but it's going to be a very interesting matchup, and I guess we're going to see how that plays out really quickly. Actually, by the time we record this <laughs> and it's up, we'll probably be underway with the game. Um, but another more sad aspect of college basketball is injuries, and one team has been plagued by injuries Stop. excessively. Stop. I'm I'm sorry, Taylor, but we have to talk about UConn right now. Oh, UConn God. women's basketball sophomore <laughs> Ozzy Fudd is suspected to miss three to six weeks with a right knee injury. She suffered in the first quarter of the Huskies' loss to Notre Dame on Sunday. UConn announced that inf- information Tuesday. She underwent an a- evaluation on Monday, and an MRI confirmed that injury. She exited the game after a teammate fell on her right knee. Uh, She did not play in the second half. That was out of precaution. She has been such an important and crucial person on this UConn roster. And both of you, as UConn fans, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry (laughs) in advance to even bring this up, but what has she kind of done for the team? and, And what do you guys kind of think about this injury right now? Well, when you don't have Paige Beckers, Ozzy Fudd was kind of that spark that we had. She was averaging 24 points per game going into the game that she got hurt in. Um, but I'm not totally freaking out about this because it's only three to six weeks. If she's on the earlier side of it, three weeks, like it's not really that long. And then also what makes me still be optimistic about this team is Gino trust in Gino, he said, you know, you're not winning a national championship or losing a national championship in early December. We They have a lot of time to get Ozzy Fudd back. They're not going to get Paige Beckers back, but they do have a, some other injured players, but they have enough time to get these girls back for conference play and then those bigger non-conference games in the new year January 26th against Tennessee February 5th against reigning champion South Carolina and Ozzy Fudd will probably be back for those so I think because this happened so early in the season it's nothing to really freak out about as Gino said you're not going to win a national championship right now so I'm not totally freaking out about it yeah it sucks but there's still a lot of time and this team just has to kind of rally around those girls and win 
these games for Ozzy Fudd, Paige Beckers, and just wait. On, they kind of just have to make sure the ship doesn't sink until then, in my opinion. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like, I know it's like so early in the season, but I'm still just a little bit concerned because this is just yet another massive blow to an already limited UConn squad. You've got Beckers out for the year for ACL. You've got Ice Brady out after suffering a dislocated patella. She hasn't even seen the court yet. Um, because she's just a freshman, and then Dorka Juhas is missing time with a broken thumb. She's been out for a couple games, and now we're missing a- Azzy. And, I mean, the latest she can come back is January 17th, so she'll be back for the games that you were talking yeah. about. But, like, I don't know. It's just, like, she's their leading scorer. She's scoring, like, what, like 20 points a game? So yeah, miss- having her missing is definitely going to really hurt. Like, and right now, UConn only has four healthy guards. Mm-hmm. And that's what's scary. That's that's just four players. It's Nika Mule, Lou Lopez Senechal, Caroline Ducharme, and then Ines Betancourt. But the problem is, Ducharme's still bouncing back from her hip surgery. Betancourt hasn't really played too much on the field yet. So I I don't know. I think they really need Izzy, and like I really hope she can get like get back quickly. But with these knee injuries too, you have to think about like her potentially like re injuring it. Like the more and more you hurt that knee yeah the more, like, susceptible it is for re-injury. Like, she can land on it, like, weirdly in, like, a February game and then be out for the year. So that's, like, something I'm still just a little concerned about, like, the fact that this injury happened at all. Right, and you bring up the fact that they only have four healthy guards. They only have eight healthy players total, Mm -hmm. which is very worrying, especially when you look, like, obviously they're not going to win anything right now, but you look at some of the matchups that they have that are going to happen, specifically the one on December 11th against number 20 Maryland, um, Diamond Miller and the Maryland squad have been absolutely dominant this year. Um, 20 as a ranking to me honestly seems too low for what Diamond Miller has done on the court. Um, and then also missing the Indiana game, which will be important. Michigan State, never an easy opponent. Um, so there's a lot at stake here for this team, and it's really going to show through on their depth and see what they can pull out with those eight healthy remaining players. But I, I just really don't like the the idea of just only eight players really able to do it um the huskies began the season fudd was the only healthy returning double digit scorer so Mm -hmm. i will be interested to see who can really step up in this time um but it's not looking really that great for them like you mentioned january 26th at tennessee february 5th against the number one south carolina gamecocks um those will be two big games to see her return um i'm only concerned with a knee injury that there could be lingering with it yeah. um just yeah. because of the severity um obviously they saw it on the mri and they say three to six weeks um but a right knee injury to me is is very dangerous especially coming back and i honestly am wondering if maybe her time could even be extended um in terms of what it might take for her to be completely healthy i won't <laughs> lie i feel like it's probably going to be longer because yeah. You just never know. Like, you see, like, that ACL tear just knocked Beckers out for an entire year. And I'm not saying that this knee injury is on the same level of that at all, but sometimes, like... You want to be cautious. Yes, exactly. You want to be cautious. And you also have to take into account her getting back into things, like, after taking some time off. She might be rusty for the first couple games. And, like, with Tennessee just, like, knocking right around the corner when she's returning... She's not going to be at full strength. Yeah. She might she might be for South Carolina. Let's fingers and toes crossed that she is. But I mean it's just like a natural progression with like with athletics. Like if you take time off, you're going to come you're not going to come back perfect. It's going right. to take time to like readapt and everything. So that's where like one of my main concerns comes in. And Gino said it himself, like UConn probably has like one of if not the hardest schedule in the nation this year. 
And like they've been doing really well so far, but now that they're not paying, but now that they're definitely not playing at full strength, like I don't know, I, I'm a little concerned. Yeah, well, the player I would like to see kind of hold up things is Nika Mull. Um, she is a fantastic defensive player. She was the 2022 Big East Defensive Player of the Year. Um, her season high for points is only 11, and that was in the game against Notre Dame. So hopefully she can get those points up and continue to have this fantastic defensive performance. But, you know, again, you can't just rely on that one player. But Another thing about her is she's very fiery. She's a good motivator. She's a good team leader. So hopefully behind someone like her, they can can, can continue to perform. But you can't just trust in one person. Right. And I think it will be a tough test for UConn. It will be definitely a battle for them to see if they can hold on in those top 25 rankings um, until she returns. But it was another tough matchup for another team this past week. This in a different sport in the NCAA Women's Soccer Championships. The biggest championship comeback of all time. UCLA equalizing in under 20 seconds left before scoring that winner in double overtime to win the D1 Women's Soccer Championship over UNC in 3-2. to two. Um, Number one, I want to get off my my chest right now. (laughs) I'm so glad this game didn't go to penalties because there's nothing more I would hate than a championship game being decided by penalties. As someone who played, it was honestly the worst (laughs) feeling in the world trying to take a PK and and trying to hold it together in that last minute. I'm so glad they battled it out in extra time in overtime um, because I would have hated to see this. Um, But from what I watched, it was an absolutely just hard-fought match. We didn't see anything um, occur until the second half and late into the second half. Um, One thing I do want to shout out that was so cool was that the first goal was scored um, by Avery Patterson, the cross coming from Emily Moxley, who went to middle school with me, and I played (gasps) soccer with her sister. I played soccer on my middle school team with her younger sister, Allison. Um, So that was a really cool thing to see, like a hometown thing. But, um, yeah, an assist for a goal. I thought that was so sick. Um, And it was an amazing cross. Um, And then Avery Patterson comes back again, and they get that 2-0 lead. And if you're that team, like, what do you kind of like you're sitting with a 2-0 lead? You have 10 minutes left in regulation. Like, (laughs) I don't know what happened because UCLA just completely changed the pace of play. They just were not ready to give up. And by that 80th minute, um, Lexi Wright comes in, gets the first goal. um, And it was just it was such a good game to watch. And and I could go on forever about this, but I want to get your initial reactions to the game. What were you guys feeling? How did you feel? What was what went through your head when you watched this or saw this? Um, so yeah, what what kind of was was your thinking leading you to Maddie? I will tell you what happened. Oh. Rylan Turner, you goddess! <laughs> I literally could not believe when I'm seeing there's 16 seconds left in the second half and she just headbutts the ball right into the goal, ties the game. It was insanity, and I see a lot of discourse online that she should they should have been fouled because the goalie was knocked back I personally did not see any contact between Turner and the goalie or anything right so I don't I I feel like the call definitely stands but yeah uh, that was 16 seconds left that is crazy I I can't even imagine how the UNC players were feeling like oh what (laughs) I thought we won this um but yeah I was like literally peeking over my friend's shoulder in class like she was streaming the game and I don't have ESPN plus <laughs> and I was like I don't really I don't really watch too much soccer but this I was like whoa 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 it was like going back and forth like I didn't I literally did not know who was gonna win it 
until like the very end and I was really honestly very happy to see the Bruins come up on top yeah definitely I think it's a huge huge message to UCLA's persistence um 16 seconds left and then you finally get the game tying goal that's great that you you have it in you to not give up even when you're down like that um and with the World Cup in this I just feel like I've gotten more into soccer. <laughs> Taylor, like you, I, I don't really watch much soccer, but recently I feel like there's been a lot of excitement around soccer that's really made me like it and want to watch it more and get into it more. So, um, yeah, definitely great, great thing. Yeah, I do want to talk about two of the a couple of the goals because I, I noticed a lot watching some of the plays back, and UCLA was just there on every single rebound attempt um, because uh, Allen, the tall here, Tar Heel goalkeeper, was just – not able to hang on to the ball in enough situations. And that caused the first goal in the 80th minute with Lexi Wright um, and Sunshine Fontes. Um, and Allen could not hang on to it at all. Um, she just gets that right in the bottom corner of the net. UCLA, just a quicker team. Um, and then UCLA, like you mentioned, corner kick with Raylan Turner. Um, absolutely just incredible um, marking in the box. I, I think what happened with there, and I've seen it kind of in the World Cup too, is if you create so much chaos in that box mm -hmm. and you make it so difficult for your goalkeeper to see, you're just going to let a goal walk right in. And that's exactly what happened. Three UNC defenders were all scrambling up against her, but that's exactly what you need. You make it harder for the defenders to know where you really are. You put the pressure on, and it was a really impressive thing to see. I do also want to shout out the fact that they used goal line technology during the game um, because that was decisive in replay and overtime to see if there was a UCLA goal before it was. Um, and they had like five angles going on, which is something I don't really see in college sports that often yeah. with them doing. And so I thought it was a really cool way for them to like double check. And it was not a goal. Um, it was a great call by the referee and the um, reviewing system to make sure that that was OK. But yeah, that that double overtime goal with that shot saved by Allen, that was one of the toughest goals shots she could have made to try and get that in to really seal the deal and that um, and prevent the penalty kicks. Um, she gets it at like this really weird angle where she's like almost uh, like parallel with the with the right post and she just somehow manages to slip it right like seconds underneath Allen before she can get to the ball something that I just thought was absolutely crazy and I, I think the other thing almost the thing that was sad for UNC is this happened in Cary um, so Cary is about roughly like 20 30 minutes from Chapel Hill so this was in their own backyard oh. to get beat and in front of 10,000 fans wow. at Wake Med Soccer Park, my home soccer park. And it's, <laughs> yeah, my home soccer park, guys. <laughs> Don't want to brag, but I would have gone if I Subtle could. Subtle flex. Subtle flex. But, um, yeah, in their own backyard, this kind of happened for a team from the West Coast to kind of waltz in and take this one mm. for them. But UN UNC has always been traditionally just such a phenomenal program for women's soccer, just churning out women's national team players like on the daily and UCLA has become in recent years like such a phenomenal program I swear I see like every single year UCLA making deep runs into the final four getting into that championship maybe losing but they still put up a good fight and it was honestly it was honestly so crazy to watch and it was just such a great game I don't know if you guys have any more final thoughts about the game but it was just to me honestly no better way to watch a comeback final well, well yeah oh, oh sorry go um, ahead <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about their coaching so Marguerite Awazaza is a first year head coach and she's the first head 
first first year head coach try saying that three times fast <laughs> to win an ncaa women's soccer title she came she was assistant coach at stanford and ucla often has the star power but they just come up short to get that ncaa title and Aozaza just like rolls right in and brings this team to new heights and it's just so incredibly exciting to see them finally scoop this up like you mentioned earlier sunshine fontes which is one of the coolest names i've yeah. ever heard <laughs> last year she just played like limited minutes didn't really get see the field that much but this year like under new coaching she's emerged as the bruins leading scholar scorer and she notched the key assist to get ucla back in the game and it just goes to show like how so- these young coaches like they really know what they're talking about and it's really cool once again to see a female coach lead this team to an NCAA title. Yeah, what I was going to mention is that 10,000 people in attendance is great, great attendance for a women's collegiate matchup. I love to see that. And then, Maddie, you were mentioning, like, the goal-detecting technology. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really great to see, like some more advanced technology in not only college sports but women's college sports because I feel like both of those things can be neglected um, in women's sports. Technology can be neglected in women's sports professionally and college sports especially. So it's great to see that they um, are really advancing the technology for um, games like this. Yeah, absolutely just electric to kind of see. Um, But it was definitely a match for the ages. And and to see that kind of comeback victory was absolutely incredible. Um, I I really just want to give props to both teams. And like you mentioned, both women coaches and and everybody that's kind of had a role in both UCLA and UNC season. It's been incredible to watch. I absolutely cannot wait for next season. I honestly am a big Duke fan. Uh, I so, like Duke. Shocker. I like Duke. Shocker. I love going to Duke games, and so I was very heartbroken to see them not make it as far this year. But there will always be next year, and maybe I will be able to cheer them on next year and hopefully maybe go back to the Women's College Cup Championship and go to watch to it in person. To my home field. I am so thrilled to hopefully do that. <laughs> but that is all the time we're going to have today here on All In, a women's sports podcast. Today, thank you so much for joining me and listening. If you want to check out the rest of our episodes, you can listen on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, big shout out to Annabelle Watson and Taylor Massetta for joining me today on the mic. All In is a production of WFUV Sports.